Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, I'm one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and I'm one of the founders of Dragon Bites. This week we're going to continue our series on rheumatological conditions. I was joined previously by Dr. Diana Beasley, a general paediatrician based at Morriston Hospital, and by Dr. Nick Wilkinson. He's a paediatrician based at the University Hospital of Wales with a specialist interest in rheumatology and in chronic pain. In our previous episode, which was a while ago now, we discussed juvenile idiopathic arthritis, and today we're going to be discussing how to investigate cases of suspected arthritis. So, Let's get started. Hi there, and welcome to the second episode of our rheumatology series with Dragon Bites. So I'm Asim, and I've been, and it's a pleasure to be joined again by Dr. Dana Beasley. Hi, Dana. Hello, Asim. And and Dr. Nick Wilkinson. Hi, Nick. Hi, Asim. Good to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, thanks for joining us again. So um, I think last episode we made a point of avoiding discussing investigations because we thought that would be perhaps something to discuss as an episode on its own so hopefully we're all on the same page and the plan is to discuss how we would investigate children with arthritis today yeah and i think that's to build on what we talked about last time which was that history and examination is the most important part of making a rheumatological diagnosis yeah and investigations are supplementary to that to confirm or refute what you're thinking from the history examination. Fab. So I thought what, I w- what we'd do to kick this off now, um, for, for listeners who might not know, my, my, my current subspecialty is in paediatric emergency medicine. So I'm going to try and piece together a case from maybe a PTD perspective. So, I, um, so I'm seeing a child in ED and they've got uh, a, res- a five-year-old who's got, say, um, a restricted elbow. Um, and I'm suspicious of, of an arthritis and I think, oh, what I'll do is I'll refer this patient to Dana for, for ongoing investigations and management. But maybe it'd be useful for me to get some of those started here so she's got something to, to kick off with when, when the child sees her in clinic. So Dana, what, what should I be sending and what should I be avoiding? That is a really good question, Asim. So yes, I quite like to see a full blood count and an ESR really, and that's most of the investigations done already that we really need. Um, Why am I saying that? Um, In the first episode of JIA, we talked about the differentials and um, the importance of not missing any of those. Uh, Doing a full blood count is important to rule out leukaemia. we also need to remember that um, JAA is a clinical diagnosis, so none of these tests will be indicative of anything. They can just be supportive. Mm. So what you may see in an arthritis um, is a completely normal for blood count. But on the other side, if there's been going on for a bit longer, you may, may see some anemia, you may see thrombocytosis. Um, so that is a useful test. Um, an ESR as a mark of inflammation is also really useful. Being a general paediatrician, I kind of like having a CRP as well. What I like to look at is the kind of um, children who've got a higher ESR than a CRP. Um, it generally tells me there is no infection going on. Mm-hmm. It, it's most likely to be 
inflammation. Um, again, being a general paediatrician, there is no rhyme or reason to do use an ESO liver function for any anybody you you do um, suspect arthritis, but you know once you once you bleed a small child maybe that's important so we've got some baseline however there's no other tests really that you need to do a full blood count and his ESR will suffice um, I get a lot of referrals from GPs who've done quite a lot of bloods already mainly based on what they know from the adult world and uh, that would often include um, ANA or any other antibodies, um, rheumatoid factor, um, anti-CCP antibodies, and that's not really required, but we can come back to that. So staying with your case, if this is a younger child with a restrictive elbow, then um, there's probably no, no additional value in doing x-rays. If, however, you've got a teenager, then it might be worthwhile doing an x-ray just to rule out long bone, um, an extra of the long bones just to rule out um, any bone tumours. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the joints, especially if it's a knee, if it's swollen, if it's warm, if it's restricted in the movement, you may not need any imaging because it's clinically a JIA. Mm-hmm. However, sometimes um, I'm not sure and then I'll ask for an ultrasound scan because that will confirm if there is any inflammation in there, if it's just a small effusion or is there any synovitis, any neovascularization. So those are kind of the tests where we start off from. Wow, that's really helpful. Isn't it? I mean, fortunately for me, it means I don't have to send off anywhere near as many bloods as I thought I did. So things like um, ANA and rheumatoid factor not not necessary in, in, in these early stages. So staying with the rheumoid height factor, it's it's a very small percentage of all children who've got JIA um, who have got a rheumoid height factor positive polyarticular JIA. So I think it's about two percent. It's it's vanishingly rare. So um, although the adult doctors will tell you it gives you um, a kind of prediction about kind of erosion of joints which is far more likely if you're rheumatoid factor positive. However, it's vanishingly rare in children, so it doesn't need to be done as an initial blood test. And um, the same for anti-CCP antibodies. There is no value in doing that in children. Uh, that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, Nick, did you have anything to, to add to that? No, I think that's that's very comprehensive. Um, just, just to add that um, an ESR and CRP can be normal uh, mm. with arthritis, even with polyarthritis. Um, and and I think the other point is that a very high ESR or CRP can maybe point to other things. So all you might find on the history and examination is joint involvement, mm-hmm. but it would just raise suspicion that there is other organ involvement, particularly in inflammatory bowel disease. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I know we've spoken about my specific case here, but do you have other investigations that you use, uh, you know, in your in your clinics for other type of um, other um, subclassifications of arthritis or other, you know, other things that you do at your level rather than things that I necessarily need to pre-referral? Well, I think, I think the one that everybody talks about is ANA. And, mm. and at one time it was thought to be diagnostic for, for kids with juvenile arthritis, and that's not the case. Mm-hmm. It merely put, so 
uh, 99% of positive ANAs are not associated with any long-term condition. Mm -hmm. so that's the first thing. So it's very common to have a teeter that's greater than 1 in 80. Um, now the height of the teeter can be important, but not for, for, for arthritis. All ANA does is now is recognize, is put you into a risk category for uveitis. Mm -hmm. So if you have a high ANA and arthritis, you have an increased risk of having eye inflammation. Mm -hmm. But those with a normal ANA still can get uveitis. So what's its value? Well, marginally to little mm -hmm. uh, value. Um, where it becomes important is if there's a multi-system inflammation. Mm. And so if in your history you, or, or examination you also found a rash, some low-grade fevers, maybe dipped the wee and got some uh, blood in the urine, then we're starting to think, well, is this lupus? Is this uh, juvenile dermatomyositis? And the ANA can then be very helpful, especially if it's a teeter of 1 in 320 or above, and then you, you're thinking, hmm, there probably is a multi-system inflammation here. Mm -hmm. And if it's particularly high, say um, 1 in 1280, then we would keep patients under review because that's likely then to evolve. Mm -hmm. Of course, there is a lab error in all of this. And so since I've been in Wales, you know, I've seen loads of patients who have had teeters of 1 in uh, 1280 when that would happen once or twice a year for South London. Mm. So where I had very high prevalence of lupus. So we just have to be careful about how we judge blood tests. Sure. Always. Now the ANA, and then if it is a raised heater, then you'll be then thinking, if this is a multi-system disorder, then the extractable nuclear antigen will be helpful. Now just in arthritis, it's not that helpful. Mm. Uh, but if you're thinking lupus, or juvenile dermatomyositis, then it can be helpful. And then you'll see Rho and La antibodies, you know, anti-Smith antibodies, and these can then help to start to characterize what, what you're seeing, including you know, secondary Sjogren's. So, so the ENA can be helpful then with those conditions. Mm. Other tests that we tend to do, double-stranded DNA, again for lupus, but you might have a raised double stranded DNA and a normal ANA, and then it becomes difficult how to assess that. Mm. It doesn't mean it's lupus, it just means you need to repeat the test. Um, other tests that are commonly done for lupus are lupus anticoagulant. Um, so this is a blood clotting study, which is a combination of studies, including um, the DRVVT. That you would do with, not just on its own, and it commonly is positive, say, in infections, um, you would also do it with two antibodies, so that's anti-cardiolipin and then antiphospholipid antibodies. Mm -hmm. And we're thinking about lupus and also antiphospholipid syndrome, which may have some lupus features, but tends to present with a thrombosis. Mm -hmm. um, that may include stroke or a DBT, which do occur in kids. There, we're then looking for double positivity. So a single positive result of a of lupus anticoagulant, cardiolipin and phospholipid doesn't mean anything really, and you would just repeat it at some point. But if there's two that are highly positive, then that raises your suspicion. Triple positivity then means we need to get on with treatment, mm. especially if it's associated with the thrombus. Um, other tests that we would do, so if there's conditions like juvenile dermatomyositis, we would do myositis-specific antibodies. 
um, they have to be sent off and they typically go to Bristol. They're quite expensive. A lot of these tests are quite expensive, which is again the reason why we just don't want to repeat them in, in everybody. Mm. I don't think we need to talk in, um, in elaborate detail about the myositis-specific antibodies. Um, other tests that we do include immunoglobulins, so things like Sjogren's, um, so Sjogren's causing um, typically maybe a, a swollen joint, um, uh, parotid enlargement or other salivary uh, involvement, um, that would typically have a raised ANA, high rheumatoid factor and uh, a hypergammaglobulinemia. Um, but again, we, we, that's rare in kids, but, but it can still be helpful. Uh, we also have to think about um, common variable immunodeficiency. So again, these can these are sort of grey cases. So if you've got um, low levels of, of your immunoglobulins, that can be helpful, mm -hmm. um, or particularly high levels. Um, So before the seagulls uh, interrupted us, we were talking about uh, clotting studies specifically in relation to lupus anticoagulant. Um, and you would also do two antibody studies with that anticardiolactin and anti-2-beta-glycan protein. Uh, it's important to do the three tests because um, you need two at minimum to be positive um, or three. If there's just one positivity, then it probably doesn't mean anything. You would just repeat it to see if it goes back to normal. Um, the reason for that is, um, is typically you, you're making a diagnosis of a lupus or antiphospholipid syndrome. Uh, with antiphospholipid syndrome, it typically presents with a thrombosis that might be either peripheral with a DVT or central with a stroke. Mm. Other tests that uh, we use in rheumatology are, say, for JDM, juvenile dermatomyositis, and that will be the myositis-specific antibodies. These are quite expensive tests and we're not tests that I'll be expecting you to order, but it's just to let you know that, that we check those and they help us to characterise different forms of juvenile dermatomyositis. Uh, the, the, the lab for that is, is in Bristol. Uh, we, we may consider doing immunoglobulins as well. That can be helpful with the diagnosis of Sjogren's, where there's a hypogammaglobulinemia associated with positive rheumatoid factor, um, as well as a positive ANA. But again, it comes back to your clinical scenario there, mm -hmm. which would typically maybe a swollen joint or swollen parotid or other salivary glands. Um, and a diagnosis often is better made with a, with a biopsy in, those, in, in, in that circumstance, especially because they're quite rare uh, in, in kids. Mm. Uh, we also check uh, immunoglobulin because one of the, the, the differentials may be um, an immunodeficiency, so common variable immunodeficiency, um, and so we might see low levels of, of immunoglobulin. Again, it's very rare for us to pick that up. We'd also check their, uh, the antibody responses to common vaccines. And I think I think I think that covers it. Just thinking about a future podcast about um, pediatric rheumatology emergencies, um, I think it might be worthwhile talking about ferritin as well. This can be particularly helpful um, in systemic onset JIA, but also with emergencies such as macrophage activation syndrome. Um, it could be in the thousands, in which case then it will be encouraging you to be active in immediate treatment. Um, it may also grumble, but then recommend future uh, monitoring. 
it's only really useful then in uh, inflammation typically associated with fever. I get a lot of um, referrals that mention um, a positive anchor in children. What do you think about that? So yeah, so so in Oxford, uh, we were actually banned from 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 anchor because it's an expensive test. Mm. It has to be um, sent off as a batch with loads of others. So there's often a delay, um, and actually it's very non-specific. So it's very common to get a positive anchor. But what's also important is you have to check the antibodies as well. So that might be to MPO or to PR3 antibodies. Um, MPO is common, PR3 is rare, but if that was positive, then you're thinking, well, why was this checked? Because you have to be thinking about a vasculitis. So I would only do it if you're seriously thinking about a vasculitis. Mm. And that would present then typically with um, a multi-system inflammatory disorder that might affect the kidneys and the lungs or might have a neurological component. Um, may have a rash, and that will be a purpuric rash, a very classic vascular rash, mm. uh, low-grade fevers. Um, so in those sort of circumstances, yeah, sure, check an anchor, but otherwise, no, um, I would not be checking it at all. Um, and then it often leads to a red herring, and then you repeat the tests, and then you're just adding to the burden of investigations of a child. Absolutely. Fab, that's really great to hear. Um, so I, I, that's covered a lot of the sort of like um, the blood tests that you might do. How, do you use um, um, imaging at all in your investigations? So I think I think Dana has brought, raised one of the most important points, which is about the value of, of X-rays. Mm. And in the differential, especially of a of a teenager, we have to think about osteosarcoma. Um, and and so any patient who has persistent pain for more than two weeks at one specific location, either the patient can point to it or you can make it tender, mm. you need to be doing an x-ray because that will show um, the typical features of, 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 of a bone tumour. And we need to pick them up early because 40% will metastasize within three to six months. Mm. So that's a really important investigation in those circumstances. But if it's just a swollen joint in a four or five-year-old, it's not going to tell us anything. Sure, a good radiologist will say that there is evidence of soft tissue swelling, but you should have made that diagnosis anyway. Mm. If it's equivocal, again, as, as Diana has said, so many children will have joint restriction with arthritis, and not much in the way of swelling. And that could typically affect the elbow. And so we might then do an ultrasound mm. of that. Um, but if you've got a, an obvious swollen knee that's a bit restricting, it's been, last, it's been there for three or four months, you probably don't need to, because um, Diana would make that diagnosis and I would make that diagnosis without the need of, of, of an ultrasound. Mm. Obviously, if you've got a radiologist who is um, uh, redundant at that time and needing a job, <laughs> then then sure, send, send them around. Um, where we tend to elaborate more on what's going on is, is the use of an MRI. Mm. MRIs can be really helpful, so especially with certain joints, such as the hip, uh, wrists, when there are soft findings. Ultrasound tends to be better for wrists, um, hips and, and feet and ankles. Because um, even I you know, will struggle at times to say, am I really seeing arthritis here? Is that swelling, um, a synovitis? Is it joint involvement? And what an MRI does is it really 
helps to delineate which joints are involved, can show whether there's denosynovitis, but also can show bone edema mm. as well. And that all adds. And the final thing that it adds is whether there has been loss of cartilage within the joint. So we call that, that erosion then. So that's mm. joint damage. That again tells us that we need to be getting on with long-term treatment or to be thinking about switching treatment if they're already on treatment and there's a new finding. Fab, that's really helpful. So um, I suppose take home for frontline clinicians would be try and minimize the investigations we're doing and avoid perhaps things that are a little unnecessary. So full blood counts really helpful and ESR is really helpful. And then in terms of imaging, if we've got a patient who's in a risk group for something like um, an osteosarcoma or you know a, a neoplasm, to then be thinking about x-rays as well. Um, anything else that I'm missing there? I, th I think the, the other important thing to think about is, is uh, chronic in, uh, infection. Mm. Um, and so again, it comes back to your history. So if, if this is someone, for, say from the Asian subcontinent, mm. we'll be wanting to think about or Africa, we want to be thinking about TB. Mm. And so then you would think, well, if there is a high chance of TB, you might want to characterize further with um, an MRI because that would tell you a lot more about, about that joint in those circumstances and you'll be doing TB tests. Mm. So a T-spot, MOM2, chest x-ray mm. uh, will be things that to consider. And then most importantly, for any consideration about TB, you're taking a tissue sample mm -hmm. um, because those tests may be negative. Um, and so getting um, fluid and sending that off can often be the most important test for that. Um, other long-term infections would, or, or, or chronic infect, uh, reaction to chronic infections would be lay Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. um, and they against history, you know, the history of tick bite or being in areas that are endemic, you know, mm. the New Forest um, areas of Devon. Um, I'm, I'm not sure about um, the prevalence in, in Wales. Uh, and there, again, the test is not terribly helpful. So we, you know, um, and so it's, a, it's a, I think it's an, a, an ELISA, and so it's much more important then to send off supplementary tests to, to the reference lab um, in Southampton. But again, it's suspicion that's most important. And the suspicion for Lyme disease would be a single swollen joint rather than two or three joints. That's then very is much less likely to be to be Lyme disease. And then obviously um, uh, the the typical rash, um, erythema migrans, um, which is the circle that then expands around where the tick bite was. It was, it is everything on my head. It is, it is. <laughs> so yeah. always going on my head with everything on marginate and I'm thinking, no, that's... that's. So th there's a couple of blood tests that maybe with my general pediatric hat I, mm. I do. Um, if there is a history of a preceding febrile illness, possible um, sore throat, I tend to ask for an ASOT just mm. to kind of see if, if this could be a reactive arthritis um, in relation to streptococcal infection. Mm. And... Um, Again, if there are any any hints in the history about um, abdominal symptoms, then you have to think about celiac disease. Um, celiac disease is one of the many mimics, and um, I've learned more and more that it can just come up with with a, a variety of um, symptoms. So. Um, 
But that all depends on the history. I wouldn't do this in every child. Hmm. I think I think it's really important to consider ASOT, but obviously you you you, you have to check for for for, for, for check rising teeters. Um, on its own, it's of little value. Even if you get a teeter of uh, one in eight hundred, mm. it's very non-specific, and you would perhaps want to do anti-DNAs B with it. Um, the most important test, though, if you're thinking of post-streptococcus, is, is is a throat swab. Mm. Um, so before any antibiotics are given, throat swab. I couldn't press home more how important a throat swab is, mm. because an ASOT really isn't that specific. And if you're thinking of a streptococcal illness, it's a sore throat without a cough. If there is a cough, then it's very unlikely to be a post-streptococcal disease. Mm. That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, so was there anything else that we need to touch upon when it comes to investigations for arthritis? So what we haven't mentioned at all for um, anybody working in ED on the front line, and that was how we started actually, is um, if you're faced with uh, a limping child or any concerns about anything muscular, it's probably worthwhile doing a CK as well because that can give you some information, um, information about um, muscular issues. Um, and it can probably elaborate. Yeah, both, both juvenile dermatomyositis mm -hmm. um, and you would then also expect a, a rise in the LDH. Uh, but also th th what we haven't talked about is other uh, neuromuscular conditions which mm -hmm. can be mimics. Of, of arthritis and shouldn't be missed. So things like um, uh, Duchenne's and Becker's um, congenital uh, muscular dystrophy, and they would obviously have a very high um, CK as well. And just may help to point you in, in the right direction. Um, oh, fab, I think that's really, I'm grateful that you pointed that out towards the end. So I think we've covered quite a, a lot today in terms of you know um, investigations we should be doing. So I suppose the key thing is for frontline clinicians, it's all about the history and the examination in terms of investigations to try and keep it simple, um, full blood count, ESR, and leave the specialist investigations perhaps to our specialist colleagues in rheumatology like yourselves. And general paediatrics. And general paediatrics. Does that sound good? That sounds perfect. Lovely. Um, so I just want to say thank you again to um, Dana and Nick. So thank you, Dana. Thank you for having us. Um, and thank you, Nick. Thanks. Thanks very much, Steve. Amazing. And I just wanted to say thank you to both Nick and Dana for recording that episode for us. Join us again next week where we'll be having another episode of Dragon Bites Basics for you. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.